Hello again, everyone. I'm Matt Lachlan. Welcome to Pirates Talk. Man, is it good to be back with all of you as we get ready for the beginning of the 21-22 season. You all know how last year ended for the Hall, with a thud as the Pirates lost five of their last six games, including their quarterfinal loss to Georgetown in the Big East tournament. No NCAA bid, a rejection of an NIT bid, a 14-13 and record overall, injuries, COVID, Good riddance. Beginning on Wednesday, it's a new year with new hopes. I've been privileged to have great guests on this show. It's made it much more enjoyable and interesting for me, and I hope for you as well. Today, I'm joined by a man who's early in his broadcast career, but who has become a rising star in the business. John Fanta graduated from Seton Hall in 2017 was a standout at the student-run radio station, the award-winning WSOU-FM, and can be seen doing college basketball play-by-play on Fox, providing hosting duties on Big East Shootaround, and can be heard as a host on the Field of 68 Media Network, and much, much more. He's taken time from his busy schedule to join me today on Pirates Talk. John, it's great to speak with you again. I I know how busy you are. I appreciate the time that you're giving me today. And looking forward to the start of this season. How excited are you? Can you put it into words? We're going to have fans. We're going to have non-conference games. It's back to normal, almost, not quite. How excited? Put it into words about the start of this season. It's like if your birthday falls on Christmas. (laughs) Tell you what, Matt, I have never been this excited for a college basketball season because you could argue that no sport has been affected more by COVID-19 than college basketball. And even though we had a season last year, uh, hardly any of it felt normal. And a lot of it did not feel really right. There were moments, there were days and times where I can just remember waking up and thinking to myself, man, I'm glad we're playing games, but yeah, is it worth it? And and for these kids, this seems to be a lot. And the anxiety of having pauses and restarts, and you don't know if you're going to play. Um, this is refreshing to enter into this year, feel a, a level of normalcy we haven't really felt. Um, sports have shown that they can forge on here, that they can have fans in the buildings. I think we'll still see some some strange hiccups here and there. But the, the days of having a three-and-a-half-week pause or not seeing a team for close to a month, those days are over. This is going to be a great year in college basketball. Experience in this sport wins. The sport has continually adapted. And, and in this sport now, seniors, grad students, they win. It's why Blue Bloods have even had to adapt. And there's so much experience in this sport this year because you have so many kids who have taken the COVID year, coming back to, to have unfinished business and to complete it. That's what sets up what should be the best college basketball season we've had in quite some time. Well, that speaks volumes, and I concur. I'm, I'm pumped to see what lies ahead. And, and we'll take the 30,000-foot view here just for a minute or two before we dive in and go more locally on Seton Hall, because after all, this is Pirates talk. But in terms of the national scene with so many players coming back with transfers and Seton Hall can certainly speak to that. What are you expecting this year? Uh, Is it wide open Kentucky, 
Terrible year last year. You talked about the Blue Bloods. Are they back? Coach K, last season, is Duke going to make a run for it? What's the overview, the overall view of what we might expect this season? Well, I think that the overview is that, yes, it is wide open to a degree. And I think that when you look at this sport right now, uh, what are the constants? Well, the constant is, is that Gonzaga is always going to be right there. Uh, when you think about the cream of the crop and Mark Few bringing in Chet Holmgren, the top player uh, in the class of 2022, at least uh, ahead of the Paolo Bancaro buzz uh, for Duke, Chet Holmgren playing with Drew Timmy. I'm very intrigued to see what that looks like. You're talking about two five men who play in very different ways. I expect Timmy to play the four sums, even maybe even try the three. And you're talking about a guy who who has the size of a five man. So Gonzaga, what they've become, they they earn that top headline. I think that there's a real dynamic in this, in this year, uh, this season of college basketball, where there is a wide openness to it. You know, I think who, who is the second best team in the country, third best team in the country on paper, you could go in a lot of different directions, but you think about the fact that Johnny Juzang and Jaime Jaquez are back for UCLA, that Colin Gillespie and Jermaine Samuels are back for Villanova that Courtney Ramey and Andrew Jones are back for Texas. And now Texas brings in Chris Beard. I think Texas is the most intriguing team in college basketball heading into this season. They have seven players who averaged in double figures last year, and they have the young coach who's the rising star. Maybe he's the coach of a blue blood Sunday in Chris Beard. He, he's done so much in not a ton of time. He just has won everywhere he's been. So I think that that's super intriguing. Um, I think Kansas and Baylor are factors in a loaded Big 12. I think the SEC is fascinating with tons of depth. Eric Musselman at Arkansas, Nate Oates at Alabama, both have those programs going. And in the SEC, you have Kentucky. You have an Auburn team poised to bounce back. I think the SEC might be the deepest league in college basketball, just with pure depth of teams that, that are really dangerous in the top 25. Big 10 could argue as the best league again. Can the Big 10 prove itself though, Matt, in the month of March? And in the Big East Conference, who is number 2? Who's behind Villanova? UConn's a candidate. St. John's is a candidate. Xavier, even Seton Hall. Um there's a wide openness to the league after Villanova. So, I think that this year that's to name a couple of the sexiest storylines. Of course, Mike Shashevsky's last ride. How does this end? What happens to Duke? Remember, in a way, they're they're looking to respond here this year. Um, they didn't have a good season last year. And so what what do we see from the Duke Blue Devils? Do we see Wendell Moore take the next step in his career? I, I've heard Paolo Bancaro has done nothing but shine in the preseason down in Durham. So I'm interested to see what he brings to the table. And Hubert Davis taking over for Roy Williams. So there's so many storylines. But I think the biggest thing is when do sports do particularly well? when fans are attached to certain players and we have so many returning players this year in the sport that fans then when they flip on a game are so familiarized with those faces that bodes really well for the sport of college basketball. Well, as I said, very excited for what is about to begin and it is in some ways wide open. Yeah. A lot of people pick Gonzaga to be number one, but you know, they fell just short who knows who the surprise team will be? Who knows how some of these incoming players will mesh with the returners? And we'll get to Seton Hall in a second because they're facing a similar circumstance. But you mentioned Villanova. In your mind, 
it's the Big East for them to lose. It's theirs to lose. Yeah, no question about it. I mean, you're talking about having the best point guard in the sport of college basketball. And I know that there's some people who talk about uh, Jaden Ivey at Purdue or um, and Andrew Nemhard at Gonzaga. There's other guards who might be um, real talented and, and could be even more talented players. But I'm going to take the winningest player. And Colin Gillespie's a winner. He makes everyone around him better. He doesn't turn the ball over. Villanova had the fourth lowest turnover rate in college basketball last season. I think they've hovered in the top five of that category every season. So when you have that as your point guard, you have now a super senior in Jermaine Samuels who really holds down that that four spot and even can, you know, if they go small, he can play the five. He's such a strong player. He puts so much into the defensive end of the floor. He's only gotten better as his career has gone on. And I think they have a Josh Hart-like star on the wing uh, who hasn't fully shown his colors yet, and that's Justin Moore. I think Justin Moore is poised to break out this season into an All-American type of player. And if he does, then we're talking about Final Four for Villanova. I think that that's the key variable for this team. Uh, I like their makeup. Um, if you have a point guard who's steady, an elite score in Moore, and somebody that can at least uh, hold down the front court in the way that, that he can in Samuels, and you have a Hall of Fame coach on the sidelines in Jay Wright, Villanova is at the top of the Big East, and they have proven it time and time again. I keep using this stat because I think it's unbelievable. Over the last uh, three, uh, excuse me, over the last eight seasons, over the last eight seasons, Matt, Villanova basketball is... 233 and 45. Wow. Oh my goodness. Well, we knew they were elite, of course, national championships in there too, but wow, that, that stat's pretty powerful. So Gillespie, Gillespie is back. As long as he doesn't get hurt, we saw what that did to them last year. So they'll score and they've got leadership. Can they defend? That was an Achilles heel last year. For Villanova? Yeah. I think that that's a big, question um but i also think that that last year was hard for for a lot of teams to find a rhythm on the defensive end of the floor especially for a team that's relatively undersized you know a team that doesn't have a lot of strength at the rim i i think that they can uh because i think that brandon slater and if he can come back healthy from his injury it's not good that brian antoine is hurt that hurts villanova because he's part of their defensive uh, identity. I think that this is a, a basketball team that um, it's interesting, Matt, because they are so good at not turning the ball over and they they don't make mistakes to then give you easy baskets. I think by virtue of having a normal offseason, uh, having fifth year guys, I'm going to bet on them to be a better defensive team um, than they were last year. And I, I do think that they struggled. And I think that that part of that was just having a really unique year and, and, um, and sometimes for Villanova, their best defense is their offense because they're so clinical on offense. They score the ball so efficiently. It's hard for teams to match that efficiency in a game. And I think Villanova at times last year was, was not as efficient as they've been where they had some issues at times just with, with finding complimentary scores on the perimeter. Um, so, well, I understand that, that that is a question mark. I just think that everything lends itself with them for them to take some sort of a jump on the defensive end of the floor. How big is that? We'll see. If I'm playing Villanova, the formula is I'm going to pack the paint. You know, I'm going to 
I am going to get the ball to Nate Watson if I'm Providence. I'm going to get the ball to Adama Sanogo if I'm UConn. Make Villanova play interior defense. That That is their flaw. It is the chink in the armor. Uh, we don't have enough time to go through all the teams. You've touched upon some of them. So before we move solely to Seton Hall, top five in the conference as you see it, uh, <laughs> before we even have one game played, but how do you see things working out if all things go to form? Yeah, I think after Villanova, I think you have to look at Connecticut. When you look at the fact that they have multiple guys taking the COVID year, Isaiah Whaley does so much for that team on the glass and defensively. You bring back Tyler Polly, who last year was an X factor for this team. Tyrese Martin averaged around 15 a game last season, and I expect him to be that type of player again for this UConn team. I think that he's a he's a guy that that really should be their their leader offensively if he performs to the level that Dan Hurley believes that he can, you know, actually they're going to look for him to average 15. You know, he, he only averaged just over 10 points per game. Uh, I I should uh, correct myself here. They're going to look for him to be that type of guy. And he needs to be that type of guy for the Yukon Huskies to be an NCAA tournament team that can make a run. Uh, I think RJ Cole is the leader of the backcourt. And for this Yukon team, they're going to defend and rebound. They're always near the top of not just the conference, but the country in that. My question for UConn is, with James Booknight gone, you're not just going to replace James Booknight. Can they get enough from Cole and Jalen Gaffney and Jordan Hawkins, their four-star recruit who I've heard good things about? Can they get enough in their backcourt to have a rhythm on the offensive end of the floor? And who is the alpha taking shots late in games? Who for the Connecticut Huskies is finishing games for them? Because Booknight was that guy last year. And Matt, you and I know this. you got to have someone to take over late in the game when you need that big-time shot. So that's the question for Connecticut to answer. I think Adamo Sonogo is going to have a terrific sophomore season. He could be a pro uh, down the road, really should be. St. John's. St. John's has Julian Champagne, the returning leading scorer in the Big East. They have Posh Alexander, the reigning Big East freshman and defensive player of the year. They have the reigning coach of the year, Mike Anderson. And you brought in a bunch of new faces. But you have a team that that I think added added to the talent level with the addition by subtraction, the transfer departures, and the guys they brought in. They brought in Aaron Wheeler, a Purdue transfer, Joel Soriano, a Fordham transfer. St. John's has six players who are six foot eight or taller. They have really struggled on the interior. I think they're going to be better in that area. I think Champagne and Alexander form one of the best duos in the country. And I think St. John's truly is back. This isn't a false thing. I think this is the team that could win a game in the tournament for the first time since 2000. I really do believe in the Red Storm. I bought stock in them last season. I'm going to keep that stock uh, <laughs> and hope that and hope that it keeps on going green and, and uh, not, not the other direction. So I'm high on St. John's. I think that Xavier has to put it together, Matt. They're the they're the team with the most pressure on them because remember in 2018, they were a one seed in the NCAA tournament and in the Travis Steel era, they haven't made it. They know they got to make it. They know they got to put it together. I think Seton Hall's right there too. The length of the pirates, Jared Roden is, is ready for this time to be a star and Kadari Richmond answers the big question at the point guard spot and Seton Hall should be able to, to figure it out. It's going to take some time for them to figure out their rotation and they might struggle out of the gates, but I think down the road, Kevin Willer could have a club that could be very dangerous later in the season. And I also like Butler. 
I think that's the other team that that might be being slept on a little bit. Butler has six players who are in their fifth or sixth year of college basketball, and they had a freshman last year in Chuck Harris who led Butler in scoring first freshman to do that in 40 years. You got to think now with a year under his belt, he'll be even better this season. Aaron Thompson stabilizes things in that backcourt. Bryce Golden, Bryce Enzi in the front court are a steady front court duo. I know it's a lot coming at everybody, but I think that this big East conference is a five bid, maybe a six bid conference. This season should be a five bid league here with Villanova, Xavier, St. John's Seton hall, uh, and, of course, uh, Connecticut as well being a factor. And then you're talking about Butler. Uh, maybe Creighton is being slept on. Maybe Marquette, although I don't necessarily see it this year. But I think that the league has a level of depth this season and should be able to get back on track after a relatively down season last year. Keep bringing it, John. That's why we asked you to be on the show. That's why I wanted to kick things off with you, man. You're a fountain of information, and it's beautiful. All right, on to Seton Hall. You mentioned some of the names. They have returning guys. Uh, Bryce Aiken came back for another year. You mentioned Jared Roden, Miles Kale, Ike Obiagu. They're back. They bring in transfers. You mentioned Kadari Richmond, Jameer Harris. And then they have a bunch of freshmen, uh, highly thought of freshman class that they recruited. How, how does it all work together? How does it come together for Kevin Willard? Well, I think that the biggest key is being able to do two things. Number one, figure out what you're doing in your backcourt and understanding that you're just not taking minutes from Jared Roden and Miles Kale. I mean, those minutes are going to probably stay with what they've been at. And I think that, um, look, you, you can't sit here. And this is nothing against him. But I think that they fully know this. You can't sit here going into this season and say, Yep, I know that you're going to get this from Bryce Aiken uh, because he has to stay healthy. If he stays healthy and can play as close to a complete season as possible, that's going to be a really good thing for Seton Hall because Aiken showed last year when healthy, what kind of difference he can make. The stabilizing presence to this formula is Kadari Richmond. Richmond, I saw him in practice, Matt. Uh, I've seen him twice in practice. He's a different type of player. He's the best pure guard Seton Hall's had now in several seasons. He's going to make plays for others. He, he will throw a couple passes a game that make you say, whoa. You know, and I think if he just continues to embrace the concepts that Kevin Willard's putting down, then he could be a he could end up being a really special guard to come out of this program. Um, and, and what Syracuse has lost is, is Seton Hall's game in this case. Uh, I think the other element of it is what happens at the power forward spot? Alexis Yetna uh, averaged around seven and seven at USF. Uh, what does he look like here with some development from Grant Billmeyer? He certainly adds a more physical presence at the four, but is it Yetna for certain? Is he going to take the job and just run with it the whole year? Or will we see the Tyree Samuel that sometimes gets talked about turn into the Tyree Samuel that produces results on a somewhat consistent basis. Because the fact is Samuel's Samuel has been a bit up and down throughout his career. And it's, it's, it's one of those things where you're waiting to see it game by game, but sometimes you haven't been able to count on it every game. Um, so I do think that they're in a position, look, Ryan Conway and Tyler Powell, I think both have a chance to be good players for this program. And I think you'll see some glimpses of them, but I don't think you're seeing a ton of them this year. And it'll be on the coaching staff to maneuver that and be able to keep these guys around because with the new transfer rule, you have to, 
You have to maneuver now in college basketball as a coaching staff and make sure that you're able to, to try to appease everybody in the right way. And that's not easy to do now, Matt. So I think that this is a really interesting predicament. I, it's a good problem to have, but I will say this. The schedule does not allow for Seton Hall to have a ton of time figuring out exactly who they want to be early in the season. No, uh, it because doesn't. You have, to, you, you have to play the Ivy League favorite on in Yale on Sunday, and then 48 hours later, you have to go to Michigan uh, for a game that speaks for itself. So I'm really intrigued to see what happens at the in the backcourt. I think Richmond's everything he's made out to be, and I'm really curious to see how they play at the four um, alongside Iko Biagu, uh, who will be at the five. And, and if they go small sometimes and put Roten at the four and try some different things there, because they could with how many different options they have at guard. And, and I think Jameer Harris is, is so key to this because as much as he's a shooter, you still have to go from American, the Patriot league to the big East. And you and I both know that's a level up. So how does he handle that? And how does he pick his spots? You mentioned uh, Jared Roden and I, I'm really I'm very, very interested to see what happens this year. He's got the stripes on his sleeves, for sure. He was good, but he was in Miles Powell's shadow. He was good, very good, but in Mamu Kalashvili's shadow. Now, there are others on the team, but to me, this is his team. Will he embrace that? There are very good complementary parts. Will he embrace being the man the way those two previous guys did. He already has and already is. Uh, if you step inside the practice facility, you quickly understand that Jared Roden is ready to be the star for Seton Hall. So talented, so much ability. So talented, so much ability. But you know what it is? This is how a program gets built. Jared Roden watched Miles Powell and he watched Sandro Mamu Kelashvili enjoy stardom in college basketball. He's ready for this. He's ready for this. This is the classic, when it's your time, be ready for your time. You can be a part of this team. When it's your lead time, that time's going to come. Now that time has come, and as a result of this coaching staff developing him, he's ready to be the lead guy. He's the most vocal player in practice. He's on his teammates. He's on himself. He's in the gym every day. He just needs to try not to do too much uh, with this team. Now, obviously, um, he's nicked up with a little injury here. We'll see what happens uh, if he plays the season opener. Um, I've heard a lot of mixed talks about about his status for that game. I think I think we could see a world in which he does not play that game. We shall see what happens. But I think that for Jared Roden, Matt, this kid is oozing with confidence. He's oozing with, with um, just the, the it factor. And I think he showed it to us last year at the Garden in the Big East tournament. He was the best player on the floor for Seton Hall uh, in that Big East tournament. He made play after play. He had a monster game against St. John's uh, in that tournament win. That's on a big stage. That's It's a postseason game. you got to win the game, and he figured out a way to, to will his team to the win. So to answer your question, yes, he is ready to embrace this role. 
That is music to Seton Hall basketball fans for sure because of his ability and what he brings. He can shoot, he can rebound, he can run the floor. He's just a terrific basketball player, no doubt about that. I'm not going to go down every player and ask for a synopsis because that would take too long and that would not be fair to you because you've already given me some 25 minutes or so. But I want to go back just Tyree Samuel intrigues me. To me, he's such a mystery man. I watch him. You talked about his inconsistency. And and he really shouldn't be a guy that of the seven or eight that we talked about earlier or that you mentioned that uh, you should necessarily say, oh, you know, the spotlight's on him. But I think it can be. I watch him sometimes. You, you know, Again, you talked about the inconsistency, and I say, wow, how high is up for this guy? And then there are other times, and maybe it's just because he was a freshman, then a sophomore, and I expected too much. But I think this year, the mystery man steps out of the shadows, and he'll be a huge boost if he can, if he can. Yeah, I think it's just it, really defensive principles um, for Tyree Samuel. You know, I, I think that that's the biggest thing. Like Kevin Willard at times ha- hasn't been able to play him as much as he'd probably like because Tyrese has not fully understood what Seton Hall tries to do defensively. And, and Matt, I think that's a big, big thing for this team to figure figure out here early in the season. I, I thought Seton Hall was not themselves defensively for a good portion of last season. Um, that is their calling card. Mm-hmm. They're they're not supposed to get into a three point contest with teams, but a lot of times last year they were, and uh, it didn't work. So Tyree Samuel defensively has to take a jump, and if he does, I think the team will take a jump. And then you know you're talking about a guy who actually is is field goal percentage was 56 last year. Um, I think it's just a matter of knowing your place, knowing your role and understanding that, Hey, now is the time for you to really blossom, to not be a five and three guy, but to be a 12 and five guy Mm -hmm. uh, in this rotation. And, and part of that is, can he understand that when you're six, 10 and you can dribble the ball, you don't have to pull up for three. You could ball fake and go to the rim. Use your, use your size and your dribbling ability to get to the basket or make a play for somebody else. So, I think it's some of the, fi- the, the, the minute things. And remember, freshman to sophomore year, he didn't have a normal offseason. He wasn't able to really develop under Willard and the staff. Now he's got that under his belt. I think he is the X factor to this team. And if he's going to blossom, the time has to be now. A final couple of thoughts from you, John, and that is the schedule is tough, no question. Uh, It opens with FDU, but then it's Yale, as you mentioned, the Ivy League favorite. Then it's Michigan two days later. Then they've got Ohio State and the winner of the uh, uh, Cal-Florida game. Uh, Then they get a couple of cupcakes, and then Big East, which is tough as can be, Villanova on New Year's Day, etc. So, where how does Seton Hall start out given as many players as they have considering we're not sure about Jared Roden and when he might return to the lineup it could be Wednesday what what is the early going about and should you not think about the record in the early going because it's about building for the Big East and then the Big East tournament and beyond well, I think that you have to be able to win that home game against Yale. Um, I think Yale's metrics might end up being pretty solid uh, because that's a program that has real NCAA tournament hopes and I think uh, could very well be there, could very well win a game. James Jones has done a great job with that program. That's a tall task for a week one game for a new look team. 
And that, that'll be a, an early measuring stick for this team. They need to win that game, though, Matt. They've got to win that game. So you got to start 2-0. you got to start 2-0. You go to Michigan, you're playing with house money. Nobody's got you winning that game. Let's face it. Nobody's got you winning that basketball game. You're playing Hunter Dickinson, one of the best players in the country. You're playing Eli Brooks, who's back and should break out for them. They have, a, a, they have the best recruiting class in the country. So um, you're, you're, you should walk into Ann Arbor saying, you know what? We got nothing to lose. Because, Matt, if you lose the game, people had you losing the game. You move on. You turn the page for Fort Myers, and you say in Fort Myers, need a split. However you get it, you got to go one and one. Got to go one and one. You got to beat Bethune, Cookman, Wagner, and, and Nyack. And then the Texas Rutgers week will be the defining week of this team's non-conference season. Because by December 9th, they will have been a month into the season. You will have had time to work out some of the kinks. Can you have a good showing that week? I'm not saying you have to go 2-0. and You don't. You don't. But you got to sit there and say, hey, you need one. You need mm-hmm. one at home. And then you'll wrap things up with Iona before you host St. John. So um, I think that this is a team that, that the Michigan game, it's a house money scenario. Ohio State, I actually think it's it's pretty smart scheduling. Um, I know some people think it's too much. It is a very tough schedule. But for me, Matt, playing Michigan and then having a, almost a week to get ready for a game against the Buckeyes, who will not be as good as Michigan. I don't think there is – I don't think they're – at this point in the season, too, losing Dwayne Washington, there's, they still have to figure some things out. They're a veteran group. They're a good team. But I think for Seton Hall, that's a well-placed situation where you face Michigan, you take what you take from Michigan, you have close to a week to prepare for another Big Ten team. They're not going to – a lot of times, Matt, Seton Hall's gone to these MTE events, and they have been overwhelmed in the first game of the event. They're not going to be overwhelmed by Ohio State. They will have seen two teams, Yale, uh, and then you know major level up with Michigan, mm-hmm. two teams that are good basketball teams. So they're going to be ready for their MTE and and Fort Myers will be important. And then that week in December will be important. If this team takes three non-conference losses and and wins the rest of them, that's a, that's a fine non-con. And in this league, you know, if you're, if you're nine and three, and then you, you go 10 and 10 in the big East, you're in, you're in with this schedule. You're in. Listen, it is so thrilling that it kicks off on Wednesday Hey, we didn't even talk about Seton Hall Rutgers. Isn't that great that it's back on the schedule? That's awesome. So much that we could talk about, and that's why we're so excited about it. I will leave you with this. I asked Kevin Weeks, who's the uh, a color analyst on ESPN Hockey, who has a studio presence and is an insider in the hockey world. I saw him last week in California when we were on a road trip. I said, Kevin, can I have your frequent flyer miles? So I'm going to ask you, John, because he said no. So <laughs> with a big smile on his face. So, John, can I have yours? Because you travel all over the place, man. The, the frequent flyer miles have to be enormous. Well, right now I'm sitting at 72,037. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what, Matt? Uh, we'll, talk, we'll talk closer to Christmas. And, uh, and if Seton Hall uh, ends up, you know, if they if they end up winning that uh, that Garden State Hardwood Classic and uh, and maybe pulling off another great victory and 
we'll talk around that St. John's Big East <laughs> opener. We'll see how we'll see how everybody's feeling and uh Maybe I'll gift you uh, some of the miles <laughs> hey. for the for the Laughlin for the Laughlin cruise after the devil season. <laughs> Listen, having spent many many hours in the air and uh, earning those frequent flyer miles, it is a perk. So you get to keep them all. I was only kidding, but it's a reflection. <laughs> it's a reflection of what you do, where you go and how much you're in demand. And so, John, I appreciate the fact that you took some time out of that schedule to share your thoughts on college basketball and Seton Hall in particular. And we will see you down the road, my friend. Hey, Matt, it's always great to talk basketball with you. I always enjoy it. Uh, I was a little long-winded today because, look, it's a combination of excitement and, hey, there's a lot going on heading into this college hoop season to be aware of. And uh, I look forward to seeing you this season. Always enjoy spending time with you. I know we'll do it again. And, and thank you for having me. It's, uh, it's a blessing, a true blessing to have followers and to be able to do something that I love. And uh, I don't take that for granted ever, as we've talked in person about. You can't and uh, cannot wait for another journey. There's nothing like the college basketball marathon to march. It is a marathon. It's a long and winding road. You see a team grow, and uh, I think in the metropolitan area, there are some really, really good clubs here this season, and that just creates a buzz. So I'm so ready for this ride. I appreciate all the followers. I appreciate you, Matt Laughlin. See you at The Rock. Isn't John great? I love speaking college hoops with him. He's so passionate about the sport. He's so knowledgeable about the sport, and he's really busy. And so I appreciate the fact and thank him uh, for being so generous with his time. I appreciate the fact that he was able to carve out a little portion of his schedule to share his thoughts with us here on Pirates Talk. If you haven't seen his work, well, you're just not trying. John's outstanding at what he does. Give him a follow on Twitter at at John underscore Fanta. Pirates Talk is available wherever you subscribe to podcasts. I invite you to rate the show, leave a comment. I'd love to hear from you. And if you do drop a note, I'll mention your name on an upcoming show. Special thanks as always to Pat Christensen, the sound engineer of the program and the writer and performer of the Pirates Talk theme. And thanks to you for your company. It's very much appreciated. Until next week, I'm Matt Lachlan. Be safe, be well, and let's go Pirates.